You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. How's it going, butt butt doo doo? And yes, that's what Seth Studley, Emory's original drummer's two boy kids, call me, butt butt doo doo. Their names are Tough and Mariner Studley, believe it or not. And yes, ultimately, their parents and those kids themselves blame me for the phrase butt butt doo doo, although I don't remember teaching it to them. But, you know, on to bigger and better things. As I told you last week, we got some big stuff coming. And the first thing I want to tell you about is King's Kaleidoscope has recorded and will be releasing their first full-length LP. It's going to be on vinyl, CD. We got a pre-order starting next week. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be great. I've heard some mixes of these songs. It's going to be incredible. If you like Live in Color, you're going to really freak out on this full production, full-length album that they've just done. Amazing. All right, the next thing I want to tell you about is really awesome. It's the Bad Christian Podcast coming to a living room August 26th, 27th, 28th, and 29th. Where? In Seattle. In Portland in Northern California, and then Joshua Fest, which is somewhere between Reno and Sacramento. So yes, the Bad Christian Podcast hitting the road. Also, Matt and Toby playing live, playing Emory songs, playing Matt and Toby songs. It's going to be in living rooms. Now, here's what we need. We need hosts who have cool houses near the city that would like to have us in their living room that would be a good place to basically have a party for about 50 people where we'll hang out, play the songs, do our thing. Trust me, it's a lot of fun. So if if you have a house, if you live somewhere that would be good for that, email us at podcast at badchristian.com. Now let me qualify really quickly. If you are a freak or a weirdo or a creeper, please don't email us. If you're normal, email podcast at badchristian.com. Let's do the podcast at your house. If you're normal, Invite us over. We'll have a party. We'll have a show. We'll have a concert. You get it? Hear what I'm saying? All right, hit it. So put me on a highway and show me a sign. Eagles, one of my favorite. Three, two, one, hit it! (laughs) Bad Christian! Hotel California! Okay, welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast, everybody. Um, Toby, you're in Hotel Spencer right now. Is that the case? Yes, I am. I'm in hell, basically. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. All right, so th- we're coming to you on this podcast today, all three in different locations across Skype. Uh, Joey is on vacation again, this time with his brother, down visiting his brother Jared in Florida. I'm at home in Seattle, and jo- and Toby is I'm still here in Charleston working my ass off. But he's at Joey's house. So Toby is actually at Joey's house right now broadcasting from his living room. So Hotel Svensson. Hey, well, here's the thing, too. So I just got here, and they obviously left, so they turned their air conditioning off. No reason to do it. But it was almost 90 degrees in here, and I'm literally sitting in my underwear right now, sweating. I'm a large, yeah, I like I'm a large hairy man sitting on your couch, Joey, sweating. So is it going to smell when I get back? Well, it smelled when I got here. I imagine it smelled when he got there. <laughs> it smelled like, I don't want to say what it smelled like. 
<laughs> you know, Matt, I haven't heard about your vacation. How did did you and Bridget have fun? But does Bridget even like vacations? She oh doesn't seem my like... gosh, does she like vacations? I mean, oh, she's yeah? insane for vacations. Unfortunately for her, I hate vacations. That's the problem. Yeah, but, and I, would you attribute that to I, I you, agree with you and Matt. Toby and all those guys being on the road all the time? Uh, yeah, partly. But here's the thing about vacations: why I hate them so much is there, there's, uh, it's like you ha- you're planning on having fun at a certain time. You have to pay a ton of <laughs> ton of money for it. I, I mean, all vacation is is you pay for every second that you're gone, and then you have to. It's super stressful. You got to carry stuff around. You got to manage every single thing nothing's familiar you have to argue with your wife about everything that's normal right and then and then you have to, and then you 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 know it's you you get tired as crap it's not very and, the, and the damn kids and the damn kids oh yeah oh, gosh. so the, well, but I, it's worse just... because of uh you know i've been fortunate enough i realized to get to travel the world and get paid to do it so it does feel very awful to have to like uh, not only pay for it, but plan it. I have to do work. It feels like I'm the tour manager now, and I have to say, we're going to this place, we're going to that place. Is this fun? Well, we better be having fun. This costs $200. So I, I don't like vacation personally. Yeah, I think I think when you, especially when you have a kid, what you should do, Matt, is you should fly to the East Coast, hang out with your parents for a couple nights, and then drive to Charleston and basically say, I'm visiting my sister, and you stay with them, and you basically make your vacation in Charleston. Well, you should just that be way, a damn travel agent, Joey. That's brilliant. I'm just saying you're not paying <laughs> anything except for the airfare, and then you just find no, really when you travel with the family, my family, you, you find plenty of ways to spend money. Don't worry about that. But it's, I mean, uh, it's but the, the the good thing about this vacation for us was we did spend a lot of time visiting friends, which I value a ton. So that's fun, even if you don't have activities planned. So I saw Devin and Dave. We saw some of our friends in Chicago. Uh, we saw Devin Dave in Indianapolis, and then we went to Nashville and saw a ton of people we knew. So we did have a great time. Now, the Matt, best part Matt, about it, you, Matt, you you don't you don't actually value the friendship part. You just value <laughs> that it, it's easy and cheap. No, I like I like it, friendship, right? Because they're cheap, they're cheap, and it's entertainment <laughs> for you. No, yeah, it, my friends are fun. I mean, I, you can't not entertainment for I you. Like, I like my friends. I like hanging out with friends and drinking beer and barbecuing. Yeah, for their entertainment, and it's cheaper. Like you get to stay at their house, you get to that's, you, know, you go right, to the Matt, grocery store and get beer. Yeah, that's right, Matt. You're trying to figure out how to entertain them, and you're marveling at how they're entertaining you. It's all a thought process. For I, you. I love hanging out with my friends. I mean, there's no. I mean, that's for sure on that. So that's ideal for me. But when you have to like pay to go to this museum and you're supposed to enjoy it every second, like that's that's pressure. All right, to so have so we, me. so we so we let's back them up into a corner. Why do you like to hang out with your friends, Matt? It's fun to talk to people and cut up. I like Why? it. I laugh. Is it, is it because is it because you like them? I like them. I like my friends. Yeah. No, he likes so them you, for what they give him. Like so, he he goes, "Ooh, please. I'm gonna go hang out with my friends, so I get entertainment. Who I get che- cheaper prices. <laughs> you don't. Everybody likes I, hanging out with their friends. What's, I'm, what's, okay. what's the knock on that? So Matt, could you say? I mean, here's what I would say. Scott Sinclair was in town. Me, Toby, and Scott get to hang out a lot, and I loved it because those are two of my best friends. I love them. I love what we talk about. It's just fun to have our kids together. You don't sound like that at all. You just said, That's what I oh, said. Yeah. That's exactly we, what I said. No, you didn't. You said, I like hanging out with my friends. We go out and drink beer, and we I talk, like hang, we hanging out. We cut up. We laugh. I mean, I like Do that. you love them? Yeah, I care about them, I guess. I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, I'm you not thinking, say, like, lovey feelings when I'm sitting across from Dave at his barbecue. I like just, you know, talking. I, I mean, I love hanging out, doing regular why stuff. Why wouldn't you? 
Why I don't you know. I don't know where y'all going with this. No, I'm just saying. I was just making a small comment that I think is funny because the truth is probably why you like that. Same way as I do, and on to a certain extent, is you would way rather like you you were uh, your vacation started in Chicago. So instead of like going to see the sights of Chicago, seeing what's up, seeing the history of it like that, it sounds way more appealing to you to go sit at somebody. At Dave, our drummer's house, yeah. and drink beer. No, oh, yeah, for and sure. Wa- and, and watch Dave entertain you. Hey, this is very <laughs> funny though. We were when we stayed in Chicago. I actually thought it was unbelievable. We stayed at a fancy hotel downtown, and I've never seen Chicago like that. We, I fell in love with. it. I thought it was so cool. It was good weather. Everything was great. And uh, there was this weird building behind our hotel, and Bridget was like, "What is that building?" I was like, "I don't know what it is." And so we walked around for two days and just thought how cool it was down there, and just loved the city and every experience of the coffee shops and everything. All that really was neat. I really liked the city, and then. Um, on our way out, we drove by, we drove out and we saw that building that it was, and it you know it was this side of Chicago that I'd never seen before, right? And turns out that building was the House of Blues in Chicago, where we probably played five times. And I, <laughs> <laughs> like every time we play Chicago House of Blues, we're parked in the tour bus in the basement on the third oh, sub wow. level, and we hang out there all day long, sit on the bus, and then go up to the venue and play the show. And I've never even seen, I mean, it was in the exact same neighborhood as where I took my vacation. I've never seen it before. <laughs> hey, Matt, did you go piss on Soldier Field? Just no, for we didn't even ask No, we saw all the sites that we took a river cruise and saw, like, you know, I was mainly, it, it reminds me of Perfect Strangers and Family Matters that are set in Chicago. So, like, the theme song of those, you know, you see them in, in those cities. So that's what I think is cool about Chicago. Anyway, the best part about our vacation was we had our travel to and from paid for by uh x3 watch and triple x church craig gross asked did i did i want to come there and see what they were doing because there was a pornography convention uh exotica in chicago and uh he's they had a booth there they do jesus loves porn stars they give out bibles they take pictures they talk to people and he asked you know do do we want to come there he said he'd pay for our travel and get us a hotel room for a couple of nights to show us what they do there so we went and did that so technically our vacation was to go to the porn convention and it was really awesome i enjoyed that experience that's cool man did you meet Brittany ruiz Mm -mm. she wasn't i did meet ron jeremy though did you meet carl yeah, I hung out with Carl Thomas, who was on the episode. But it was funny meeting uh, Ron Jeremy because him and Craig are actually really good buddies. It's almost awkward. Like every time that we walked around and Ron was there, like one time he was giving this panel conversation. He was talking about, you know, sex positions and uh, law of pornography and funny stories about being on porn sets and stuff. And Craig and I walked in the back of the room and he goes, There's my friend Craig Gross. This guy believes in uh, Jesus. He thinks all this stuff. He's the greatest guy in the world. I really like him. Look, everybody, they're here to tell everybody that Jesus loves porn stars. That's my friend Craig Gross. He's awesome. So every time we walked around, Ron is just <laughs> like, he, po- cool. he pointed us out in the middle of the his lecture. Like he's up there with the microphone telling stories and stuff like that. So they really are really great friends. It's pretty amazing. So what they do at these porn conventions is really neat. Like I know it sounds crazy, but they they're like super calm, super relaxed. It's not it's not like they fit in. That's not really what it's like, but it's it's they're so non uh judgmental and him and his crew and everybody that's there that all the people that come up to the Jesus Loves Porn Stars booth and get Bibles and take pictures and get the T shirts they're they're totally like not even guarded or defensive. Like they don't it's like they're so disarming in their approach of just being nice and comfortable that uh, it 
everybody's just totally cool, and they really get to hear what, what they do have to say, which admittedly is simple. It's just Jesus loves you, we love Jesus, and that's about it. But, but that's, uh, that people tip, those people in, the, in that place typically only associate Jesus with the people that say, you know, God hates fags and stuff. So um, yeah. it's pretty interesting. And those people actually are outside the porn convention, but Craig and them pay a bunch of money and are in the convention uh, and on really good terms. They also do a VIP lounge with the girls backstage and do their hair and makeup and, you know, just relate to people uh, like, I guess maybe like Jesus would, people would say. But it, I thought it was really, really interesting. It was way more comfortable and less freaky than I thought it would be. Matt, did you see like a lot of uh, nudity or any any crazy stuff? Uh, I saw thousands of dildos but i didn't and there was nice. some nudity for sure yeah there was nudity but it which ones like, did you buy <laughs> 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 nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that you hey, <laughs> in the sanctity of marriage right yeah within the confines hey, you tell of marriage people, hey matt tell them tell people tell the folks tell the listeners uh, about the freedom in marriage what you can do <laughs> no so, but yeah, hey, like what's but something there, that you would do in marriage <laughs> I did learn a lot. No, but the, it's not as freaky as you would think. And the saddest thing about it is really, I think, just as a regular guy, a Christian guy, I've I've been on the Internet in dark, a lot darker places than this convention itself was. Right. I mean, this is just people walking around looking at stuff. I mean, there was some nudity there, but it was there wasn't even real there wasn't any live nudity and there was some stuff on some screens and you know, I mean, it, it was a lot more tame than you would imagine something like that w- would be. And the people totally normal like there it's just like comic-con or an accounting convention or whatever or whatever else it's just these people are interested in just you know they're people that consume porn but you know statistically porn is something that almost everybody's consuming these are just the people that are comfortable enough to walk around in public and admit yeah. it that's that's the only difference they're just like everybody else so it wasn't now, did, that you get crazy. Any, did you get any kind of sense of like oppression or like uh sex slavery or trafficking human trafficking anything like Honestly, that like no are people I, are, I know are people callous to the you know these porn porn stars no i mean the, the it's that's what i think is really interesting about it is it's this is just a very commercial part of of it like if you spend any time on the internet you'll be in a worse place than anything you'd see at this convention. So I know, I do believe and think that the porn industry feeds into and is related to trafficking and really dark stuff, but this was relatively normal feeling. Like the first 30 minutes, I was a little bit freaked out, but I mean, after, you can't sit there around thousands of people for very long before you start realizing, oh, wait a minute, these aren't mega freaks. These are regular people. And so that yeah. overwhelmingly, after about 30 minutes, I felt, you know, kind of normalized. I was like, oh, these are just regular people. So if you talk to them, it's normal. It's not crazy. So I think that, if anything, is the most interesting thing about what Triple uh, X Church does is they just they bring who Jesus and who his character is to people that most people would be freaked out to talk to or seemingly. But, you know. I keep thinking, who would have thought that Jesus's method worked to hang out with people and actually just love them? I mean, it's like, wow, that's so radical and on the edge what Triple X Church is doing. And it's like, no, that's actually what we're all supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's not radical at all. Joey, Joey, that's awesome. I'm going to go to a porn store right now and hang out. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you know, you guys know Triple X is a great sponsor of the Bad Christian Podcast, and uh, we appreciate them very much. We use X3 Watch. X3 Watch helps us block pornography on our computer. 
computers and our devices. So if you're interested in that or want to get that, you get 50% off if you go to x3watch.com forward slash bad Christian. So thanks again to Craig Gross and Carl Thomas at Triple X Church. Yes, yeah, thank awesome. you very much. It really is awesome for all of us, and you should get it too by going to x3watch.com slash bad Christian. Um, Matt, why do they like us so much? I don't know. I mean, I think maybe just because we're a little bit more open than, than other people, but I don't know if we're the most open people in the world, but, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure why they I was, like I was, I was thinking that same thought. How open are we? Let's all say literally the worst thing we've ever thought right now. Go, you go, you go first, Joey. <laughs> Toby uh, texted me yesterday and said, "Hey, Matt, you know that thing where I said uh, if you play Christian music backwards, it says this is really bad shit." Like on the last podcast, he called me because he wanted to limit. He wanted me to edit that out of the podcast, and I was like, "I don't think that was that crazy." I mean, you know, like we don't want to get into crazy editing and stuff. I thought that was a pretty straightforward thing, but Toby, that's not true, Matt. That's not true. <laughs> Toby's instinct was to like let, let me edit that. I wish I hadn't said it, kind of thing. So I hope we can stay unedited as much. Can as I possible. clarify that? Yeah, go I don't, ahead. I don't mind. I don't mind us talking about it, but I also, for a living, sing uh, worship songs. <laughs> so I thought it. I thought it was a little bit uh, crass or rude uh, to do that because I know a lot of people really appreciate those songs. So I thought in the moment I was making a joke, but I thought, hey, maybe this is too offensive. So. But Matt seemed to think, let's just let it go, so we let it go. Yeah, just so y'all know, sometimes we do edit a little bit on this podcast if somebody says something that's outrageous, but we do try and fight. We Usually one of us will say, hey, could you take that thing out that I said? And the other two guys are usually like, no, leave it. That was cool. I'm glad you said it kind of thing. So sometimes we edit hey, a one- thing here or there, but we try to be as open as we can. No, the number one thing we usually edit is like Joey chewing. Mm-hmm. You can always hear it in the microphone. Yeah, that's the, the biggest editing, editing part. There's one podcast episode that uh, I actually tell Toby, dude, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I wouldn't say F you. And it makes zero sense because Matt had to edit Toby talking about two Christians, and he said, F you, both of you. <laughs> Oh, I was talking goodness. about Rick Warren and Stephen. Per- <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. Hey, Those guys hey, are awesome. I guess, Toby, speaking of being really open, I was hanging out with Andy Christinger, um, uh, a friend of all of ours. Y'all, you know, our listeners have no idea who we're talking about. He's my but, college roommate and played music yeah. with Toby and Joey. Awesome musician, singer. Yeah, great guy. And uh, Toby, you remember it was our junior year. We started hanging out with him and Devin and Phil Van Kempen near the end of that school year. And I remember being in his brown van in a grocery store parking lot. And I remember doing something crazy. And I was like, Andy, what, what did we do? And he starts shaking his head in disbelief. And he says, I, I know exactly what y'all did. What he said that we did, I have no recollection of. And you know, that's crazy. I usually remember everything. He yep. said that we had Richard Blakeney with us. So let me give you guys a visual. Richard Blakeney <laughs> is a huge black guy. Uh, he's an opera singer. He's he's very white when it comes to being black. <laughs> like he acts like I a don't white know guy. if that's what I would say. <laughs> he's very proper. He's like a 300-pound Carlton Banks. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So anyway, Andy said that we went slow in the parking lot. We pretended to have Richard tied up, and Richard would always go along with what we wanted to do. So we hog-tied him, and we opened up the sliding door, and as people were walking by in the parking lot, we pretended to 
beat him. <laughs> and so imagine me and Toby like swinging our fists, beating him and him yelling. And I'm thinking, did anybody call the cops or did it just look that fake? But I do not remember. Do you remember that, Toby? I would not have remembered if you didn't say it, but yeah, I do remember that now. Now, I I thought we did it a couple times, and like one time Richard was just like pretending to walk out after shopping at Harris Teeter, and we threw him in the van and started yelling, and kidding, he was screaming, and we took off. I thought we did that once, and then I thought we did another time where we actually pretended to beat Richard to see, <laughs> to see if anybody would do anything in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and no one in Rock Hill, South Carolina helped the black man that was getting beaten. That, I mean, isn't that unbelievable? I mean, we were pretending... And everybody's like, well, that sucks for that dude. <laughs> All right, so, and that was so, pre-Jackass, too. Like, that was before oh, you yeah, seen yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. All right, so this is going to definitely offend uh, some of our listeners, but it just goes to show how close we all were as friends. And it still didn't show a lot of wisdom because we didn't know Richard's parents were going to be visiting our apartment. But we all shared a restroom, and there was two separate entrances to the restroom. And so on Richard's entrance, me and Toby put a sign on the door, and it said, <laughs> it said colored restroom. <laughs> <laughs> and so Richard thought it was hilarious, and so he just kept it up during the summer, totally forgetting that we had that up when his parents visited. And so yeah. Toby and I, we were gone for the weekend. We get back that Sunday, and Richard said, yeah, my parents came by. We were, we were like, oh, sweet. Oh, we hate that we missed them. He said, man, they saw that sign. And we, our hearts about sunk we were just like oh crap and he said yeah my mom thought it was funny my dad didn't we just oh felt horrible but yeah, <laughs> one of those things that's funny um speaking of outrage the only thing i want to uh i need something i feel like i must address i know we've said a lot of controversial things on the podcast before if you remember toby's russell wilson divorce tirade stuff like that <laughs> oh how can anyone forget how can anyone forget but the 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 we've apparently on the last episode said the most offensive worst possible thing that's ever been said in any controversial way in the whole bad Christian career. And that was some people seem to have felt like I suggested that they should not tip when they go to restaurants. So we have a vehement outrage thinking that the the comments I made last week were intended to keep people from tipping. So let me clarify what I said. And I don't normally like to clarify, but this this issue is just too big. It's going to divide the country. It's, it's a, it's I got some personal text messages, and you said you, we got emails. <laughs> we definitely got emails, Facebook, Twitter, all over the place about this issue. First of all, I tip. You have to tip. Everybody tips. You need to. I always tip 15%. I always do. And so I always tip. I always tip. You should always tip. My only point was the only reason I tip and the only reason I believe anybody else tips if they were honest with themselves is because of the social pressure of not looking bad. So our system's built around that. We built a thing where it, you look bad to your peers and to the server if you don't tip. It's a guilt thing. Uh, and, you know, that's why I tip. I wish I didn't have to. I don't like it. I'm not generous. I'm not a good guy. But I tip because I have to. I think that sucks. Also... It needs to be noted, everybody told me this, that in most states and in a lot of places, the people literally make $2 an hour and all their money gets put to taxes and they get no pay at all except for tips. So I get that. Now, in some places, where, like where I live, they do get full minimum wage and the minimum wage in my city is going to be $15 an hour by next year. So, yeah, I really think that's insane 
And people here make 50, 60, 80 grand a year off serving and tips. So whatever. But I understand if you work at Waffle, if you if you go to Waffle House in Arkansas, leave a big tip, okay? <laughs> yeah, Matt, you're, you're finally the asshole on this podcast. <laughs> hey, but but I will say this. My brother listened to this, uh, to that episode with me today. And he said that back in, this would have been 99, 2000, Matt, Devin, Ronnie, all y'all's friends that were wearing Dave Grohl shirts, you guys would take up one of his tables on a busy Friday night at Coffee Underground in Greenville, South Carolina, and you would all get waters except for Devin who ordered a root beer. And (laughs) obviously, so he made probably a dollar off of that table. So I don't know if I can... uh, really buy into your excuse well that was when i was probably 17 years old yeah (laughs) i i I do remember that we used to go there we would get milkshakes and go sit at this i mean it was a coffee shop i mean i thought that was reasonable to go to the coffee shop and get a milkshake but (laughs) it was kind of an upscale place and it was funny because joey's brother jared uh worked there and we knew him and his fiance and wife for a long time before we met joey but we didn't know him we just thought there was that kind of jerky server uh, that is not cool at Coffee Underground. And then when we met Joey, eventually we <laughs> met his brother. It's like, oh, that's the guy that works at Coffee Underground. <laughs> so, but Jared's cool. Jared's I, at this point in time, I could honestly say I'd much rather be friends with Jared than Joey, but I just don't have that option. So, I totally agree. I wish it was Matt, Toby, and Jared. I know. Don't you? I mean, seriously, don't you wish you saw and hung out with Jared every day instead of Joey? I do personally. I, I I promise hey, if I'm hey, lying right uh, now, send me to hell forever. I wish Jared was. <laughs> All right, that's enough goofing around on this episode. Hey, uh, Matt, got, what year were you born? I was born in '79. Can I say one last thing? This is really awesome for me right now. I'm sitting here drink, drinking a Miller Lite, eating a DiGiorno pizza in my underwear in Joey's <laughs> in house. Joey's house. <laughs> Did you get that DiGiorno from our freezer? <laughs> You're eating uh, Joey's DiGiorno. (laughs) Payback's a bitch. I ain't it, Joey. I'm about to get totally naked and sit on your couch. (laughs) Just sweat. I'm just sweating naked on Joey's couch, eating a DiGiorno. I can't believe it, man. Bastard eating my pizza. All right, so let's not waste any more time here. we got a really awesome guest that's like a super chill dude that's going to be really easy to talk to. It's Tommy Green from the band Sleeping Giant. We've toured with him. He's a great, awesome guy. So let's just bring him on instead of us talking by ourselves here. He'll be more interesting than y'all will, I think. All right, folks. I know you guys are fans of the band May. May was a band that was on tooth and nail even before Emory was, and they are amazing. We've always looked up to them. We've always thought they were great. They're awesome guys, and you're not going to believe this, but their album, The Everglow, which is probably their best album, it's been 10 years since that record came out, and here's what they're going to do. They're going to do what they do best. They're going to play shows. They're going to play The Everglow from front to back at a select group of dates. They're going to be Philadelphia, Norfolk, Virginia, New York, New York, and Worcester, Massachusetts, January 2nd through January 9th. And not only that, they're going to be opening up the backstage curtain and inviting a small group each night. And that's going to be for an exclusive pre-show, concert, and conversation with the band 
each of those nights. Also, they have a uh, meet and greet with the band where you can get your photo with them and an exclusive t-shirt. The VIP packages are awesome. You can find out everything you want to know about this at theeverglowtour.com. And so if you're a May fan like I am, you're not going to want to miss this. You're going to want to make sure you get tickets before they sell out. Some of the stuff is already sold out. I'm going to go ahead and admit that. But there's still some VIP packages and tickets available for these shows. Go check it out right now, theeverglowtour.com. Go hang out with May and tell them we said hey when you get there. And we're back! Okay. We do have the privilege today of talking with Tommy Green. Tommy is the lead singer of the hardcore band Sleeping Giant. Tommy, do y'all call yourselves a hardcore band? Did I get that right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what I I would call it. Go ahead, Joey. Interrupt away. Yep, yep. I I Googled uh, Tom Green, and you starred in Freddie Got Fingered, Charlie's Angels, and Road Trip, and you were married to Drew Barrymore from 2000-2001. So you're a very versatile person. It's awesome. It's true. I I really believe that that <laughs> the Lord the Tommy, Lord uses you, media. <laughs> hey Tommy, have you gotten that your whole life? Have you gotten that like? No, man, I did. It didn't. No, I didn't start until high school. You know, that's when like the, the Tom Green show was on, and I'd be walking through the halls of high school, and some idiot would be like, "Hey, bro, saw you on your show last <laughs> night. You were pumping a moose. That's awesome." And I'd be like, "Hey, dude, haven't heard that since yesterday." Thank hey, you, did you dude. just kind of call me an idiot? Yes, he did. No, not really. Yeah, I mean, well, kind of in a veiled way. If you went to East High School and you made re- repetitive, foolish jokes at my expense, that's, then that's you absolutely definitely Joey's personality. Are an idiot. So anyway, that's, Tommy's that's band is called Sleeping Giant, and they're a hardcore band. And we first hung out with them and saw them play on the Scream the Prayer tour. Correct? Yes, wow. that's right. And so, the, so uh, the thing, uh, and Tommy literally screamed the prayer. Yeah, I, I do. That's, that's what Tommy does. So we. Uh, our main introduction was them. We have this problem, Tommy, of uh, in Emory, as long as we've toured, we have this nasty habit of not ever watching the opening bands and sitting on our bus yeah. until it's time for us to go on stage. As shitty yep. as that sounds, that's something we tend to do. So it's probably the first, second weekend of the tour before we got around to even seeing you guys. And I, I went in the club probably to take a dump or something like that. Yep. And uh, I, I came in between you know all these hardcore bands and stuff like that that I wasn't particularly worried about trying to watch it all. And I heard you talking, and I heard your music, first of all, which I thought was really good and not like all the other stuff out there. And on that tour, I thought the music was really interesting. But I heard you talking on stage, and you were talking about – uh, your wife and your marriage and adultery and suicide and like, I mean, you were just telling everybody basically how awful of a guy you were or are in this way that I've never heard anybody do from stage before. And as much as we talk about that kind of stuff, we're n- nowhere near that open or that vulnerable on stage. And I, I came back on the bus and said, Toby, you got to check this out. You got this band is awesome, and this guy is saying some <laughs> crazy stuff from stage. And Toby's like, Toby's like. No thanks. <laughs> yeah, man, that's awesome. So cool. I was wondering if you could tell yeah. us a little bit, like what what you do from stage there. Like, uh, I mean, what's the story there? So, what's the oh, the okay. real meat of that of, of that part of the story? Could you could you? Well, the, I mean, the reality is that like I, when I. I moved to California from Salt Lake City and I got involved in like the hardcore scene in Salt Lake and at least in the in the late in the mid to late 90s 
um, the Salt Lake hardcore scene was like a really violent and really political place. And um, in general, it was like I was hanging out with a lot of dudes that were super violent and like really angry. And then in general, I was kind of I was I was way into the like animal rights scene and all that stuff. And there was legitimately like terrorist action going on in the city where there was uh, a lot of like ALF action and there was trucks being blown up and there was dudes running from the feds and, you know, hardcore kids in Salt Lake. And that was in your scene, like people you knew. Yeah. (laughs) People were getting pulled over by unmarked police cars before the Olympics just to let us know that they were watching us and stuff. So, I mean, it was like, and this is just like hardcore kids that were just sort of ruffians, but it was interesting. Yeah. I was super, super vegan. It was, yeah, it was like a big, it really was a different time to me because it was it to me it was in the, that season where the hardcore scene if you really became a part of it you really felt like you were against the whole world mm-hmm. it really felt like you were a part of something that was going to change something and so i moved to southern california and i was not a believer at all in jesus i was kind of like you know <laughs> in denial or kind of believed in spiritual stuff because i had encountered a lot of like crazy supernatural things as a little kid but i didn't want to believe in the you know christian stuff at all so i I hated most of it and came out to california and i remember that there was like this real strong christian hardcore scene and i was friends with the guys in that band no innocent victim and i really liked them i thought they were really decent dudes and so it was cool to kind of watch their scene well i i felt my life fell apart in california how old were um, you and that i was 19 20 i was like 20 when we were out there, I, I basically graduated from high school and within a couple weeks I, I ended up having an affair with another dude's wife. Um, I basically, she's married to this guy, like it's this crazy situation and she ends up cheating on her husband with me. I end up falling head over heels for her and trying to keep it all secret. And then within a month he actually committed suicide. Oh, um, God. and in his suicide letter, he actually asked me to stick around and take care of her. Oh my God. So I'm 18. I'm like, I'm like three weeks out of high school. And I'm making big decisions. Wait, so did you feel did you feel like at that time you were like uh, culpable or responsible for a suicide? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely did because in general it was almost like one of the few things that he had that was at least something worth living for was this relationship. And it's like I didn't, I never got a chance to confess to him. I never got a chance to tell him. And then it's like he goes out, and in general, I think he recognized that there was a pretty strong bond between his wife and I, because then he, he names me in the note and is like, please stick around. Cause I know that she cares about you, that kind oh, of thing. Gosh. And so in general, I'm 18. I don't know exactly what to do with that, but it's like, I, you make a decision at that point that I don't have any integrity. I really don't have anything to my name, but I'm just going to give my whole life to this person. Cause I already kind of have ruined my whole life for this person. <laughs> so wow. like, it's just a big deal. And so we started building a life together and we moved to California and then just being both train wrecks, you know, just like a lot of young couples, you know, you're growing up together and she was a bit older than me, but you know, we, we both weren't sure who we were. And so within just a few years, it was like we had a, we had a baby together and then, you know, we got married, but, um, within just a short period of time, you know, life kind of hits you pretty hard. And, so she ended up just kind of falling in love with one of my friends out here in California. So I basically had to live through the exact same thing. So so and she that, did that exact same thing to you. She did it twice. The yeah, same thing. It, it, with this with the kid that was my age, like the, that was a little younger than me. And so I just remember that because the dude was a pretty serious guy in Salt Lake that she was with, um, I remember that his friends kind of came after me 
And I remember being like a little guy and these very serious dudes were going to hem me up at this movie theater. And I remember they wanted to like stab me behind this movie theater and they, they had called me out for everything that I had done, but they didn't know they were just guessing. But I was, it was the first time that like terror and like panic had hit me. And so I, I was so afraid and so alone. So when, when I realized that my wife had fallen for this dude, that was, I, to me, I'm like, he sucks. I'm awesome. Like, what the heck? Oh, and I know how you feel and I've been you. So like, I'm not going to put terror on you and threaten to kill you, even though I want to, cause that doesn't work. Cause they did that to me and all it did was make me hide. So yeah. I'm like, I'm going to go to my dude <clears throat> and I'm going to go sit with him. And so I just sat across from him and I said, I know exactly how you feel. And I know exactly what you're doing. And I did the same thing with the same girl at the same (laughs) age. Please don't do this. Like, please don't. And he was, he just went anyway. And so in that process, that's when I met, like, you know, he wasn't a concept in those, in those times. Like I'm a bit like an open door, but like I, I met Jesus dude. And like, he, he was like the bridegroom that had lost his bride. And all he wanted was for her to pick him again. And, and she just wouldn't. And it was like, that was me. And so when I met the Lord for real, it was like, <laughs> I, I didn't realize how real he was until all I wanted was for my wife to choose me again. And at the minute she did, I would have been like, it's all forgiven. I don't even care. Just pick me. Like, just pick me. And she just didn't. And I waited for a long time. But I remember that he said to love your enemy. And so I remember thinking, I'll love these people that are just killing me. And so for people that are our non-Christian listeners, what Tommy just said there is basically we see Jesus and the Bible says that Jesus is yeah. the groom and the church is his bride. And that's us. And the Bible yeah. talks about us being whores and not choosing him and uh, whoring around. And no matter what, Jesus forgives us. Jesus pursues us. Jesus loves us unconditionally in a way that, sure. that uh, we as husbands or, or men wouldn't want to do at all. It's, it, it seems almost wholly <laughs> unfamiliar. And so <laughs> you saying that hits that's, you pretty yeah. hard, Tommy. That's what, that's what it was. was just like I, I just figured, well, if he's real, rather than wait to f- – it was almost like the, w- what happened in that season of my life was I was with all these Christian kids. The dude that was hooking up with my wife was a Christian kid. Like he was from that whole culture. And I remember thinking, well, some of these dudes are saying the right stuff. They have truth and my life is falling apart, but I don't know if I really believe in their God or not. And so I just was like, well, I'm going to do what he said to do and just see what happens. Because it was like, it's it, my lifestyle. My mentality was like kind of new age. E. I believed in the spirit stuff kind of, but I didn't believe in one specific God or one specific path. But at the end of the day, I didn't know if that was really true, and it definitely wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, (laughs) I have to try something else, but I didn't know what else to try. So I just decided, well, this dude said to love the people that are killing you, and that's what I feel like is happening. So I'm just going to do this and see what happens, because if it works, I'll go all the way. And so in the process of loving my wife so she would say yes, and even loving to the best I could the dude that was cheating (laughs) on (laughs) with my wife trying to love them in front of all of these people for the sake of my daughter and my family and, and trying to get rest restoration. That's where people were like, I don't know how you're doing what you're doing. And that's when it was like, well, maybe God is actually present and he's helping me give a love that I don't have. And that's where I kind of met what I believe was Jesus. That's when I really met my, 
God was I was like, you really are real. So that was what changed my life was, it was like, you reap what you sow. And I, that's really true. <laughs> and I, I've gone through that. So that was my story. And I, we wrote a song about it on our first record called Whoremonger. And it's just that this, the story, cause so many people cheat, man. So many people have affairs. So many people in relationship, they, they want to operate with integrity, but then at the end of the day, they're only as strong as they are mm-hmm. and, and they fail. And so it's a song about failure, but it's also a song trying to bring encouragement to people because none of us are perfect. So anyways, that it might've been the story you were talking about was just that specific story that, that to me is kind of a big part of my testimony. Um, so I just decided when I, when I didn't have to lie anymore, um, because I didn't have some sick secret I had to keep. Um, I just decided I didn't want to lie anymore. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be honest. And, and you basically <laughs> say what all that you said in a slightly more condensed way from stage at your concerts, right? Yeah, I, what I try to do is give people enough information to destroy me, yeah, and then just trust that it won't happen. <laughs> 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 but that's kind of the thing. I just decided it's like every there's so not everybody there's so many people that felt like me. Mm-hmm. Like I have this sick thing that I can't tell anyone, and so to me, there's a lot of powerful things that happen as a Christian, and you can see small or large miracles, you know, depending on how either deluded or over spiritual you are or whatever. But it's like, to me, one of the most powerful things that I was given in my faith was the ability to be vulnerable because mm-hmm. I don't have to be afraid. Now, like, Tommy, I don't have is, to be afraid. Is it, uh, yeah, seriously, that, that, that's kind of a theme we've been going for too. Um, I, I, is it now that you're so vulnerable from stage? Do you get everybody else was like, oh, now I can go unload my shit on this guy at the end of the, you know, uh, do you get that after Seriously, shows? Seriously, I mean, there's, there is that too. It's most times though, I swear it's just, I don't even get the like, I'm going to give you my four hour life story as much as I get like random people that walk by me and just look at me really quick and they're like, dude, thank you. Cause, and then they'll just be real candid and like, dude, cause my life is fucked right now. Like, thank you so yeah. much just for saying what you said. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, man, and it's almost if I can just create some space for someone to just breathe, like yeah. it's cool. Yeah. yeah, you've come to the right podcast, Tommy. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you just said it. It's like I just I don't I don't mean to. Just, I'm not. My goal isn't just to offend people or anything. It's just I just, I like being able to be honest with you guys. I appreciate that. But that's the real deal. Is people are really struggling, and the Christianity that I see all the time is rated R, and so that's that's where we live in the, the scene that we're a part of anyway. So it's yeah yeah. I just uh, I, 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 I just wrote a, a blog post about this, but I've been really just thinking about how Jesus interacted and shared himself and, I guess, if you will, the gospel with people. And, and just sure. going back to the story of the, uh, the Pharisees wanting to stone the, the woman uh, caught in adultery, and, and I just love the idea that he did not go to her and say, hey, listen, if you don't believe in me, the stoning, you, that's the least of your worries. You know, you, you yeah. are screwed here. You, bet, you have to believe in me. Believe it. No, he goes, hey, listen. I, they didn't condemn you. I won't either. Go and sin no more. And I, yeah. I just love that. Like, hey, I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to guilt you. You know what you did. I mean, yeah. the, 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 the heaviest weight that people carry is on their own shoulders that they know what they've done. That's we, right, we, it's not, you know, I mean, we all know the messed up things that we've thought, that we've done, that we've said that, that to others and hurt others or hurt uh, people hurt ourselves. And I just yeah. think that just that vulnerability, people resonate with it because they can they can say, "Ah, oh, this doesn't own me; I own it." Toby, I've never thought of it that way that you're saying it there. That what what you're saying is that the person who's done the wrong 
really does know it, and they carry it as much or more than anybody could put on them. More so. so that more we, so. Yeah, so that when we or the church or Christianity or Facebook piles on and tells you how wrong you are, that's completely not helpful because the person is already shamed and guilt-ridden and, and all that. That's the people that we experience all the time in the real world and at shows and at church. I, I mean, I, I wonder, like, I feel like, you know, there's all these different personality types in the world anyway. And, you know, there's plenty of people that they're, the strength of their personality or their character or their own, you know, whatever, they, they don't care. You know, maybe I've done wrong and maybe they need someone to hold up a mirror and be like, hey, you blew it. And maybe that works for like 10% of people. But if the rest of everyone that I seem to meet feels like me where it's like, I'm already my own worst critic. Like I don't yeah. need any help feeling <laughs> like bad, yeah. you know, yeah. but the, the spiritual side of like, you know, I also know what it's like to just cut off my own conscience so I can't feel anything. And I wonder what part someone saying the truth, you know, that brings conviction. I know that's healthy for some people because I had to hide. I couldn't feel how wrong it was for years. Like I wasn't even allowed to go there. Cause like, what did that mean? And so I'm yeah. sure that bringing conviction is healthy, but I, I think you're right. Cause I think most of the people that I've met, they're so, um, overwhelmingly like already feeling like garbage that it <laughs> get the, yeah, they just need someone to be like, we get it. Like, and, and you're loved, you're loved, you're loved. We love you. Like, we'll love you. We've made a commitment to love you. Like it doesn't, I wish that you'd make a different decision, sure, but right now I just want you to be a part of my life. Like, and I, I don't know, that's the value of relationship that I feel like God has for humans. Tommy, um, I don't want to pick on the church too much, but how yeah. in the world did we get so far away from such a pure perception? I'm not trying to swell your head up either. You're just being honest and being no, yourself. I, feel, and what I mean, God I'm, I'm as much... I'm as much a, a, a product of the church cult. I mean, I got church. I've, once you get, once you kind of become a Christian and you start going around church culture, I think part of the problem, if I can be honest, is that we've had teaching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have this <laughs> academic teaching culture. And the reality is that it just fills people up with what they think is understanding. They make it really complicated. And in the meantime, they don't have any practical experience loving the unlovable. They yeah. just learned a bunch. And for me, that's what happened. I started leading a Bible study for kids that I, I was like, I never saw Jesus before. And then he got way real. And I was like, I want to tell people, but I didn't want to shipwreck anyone. So I start studying the Bible so I can lead Bible study so I don't hurt anyone in their faith. And I was amazed at how fast people just want to know stuff, but they don't. You didn't have to get a master's before you led a Bible study? <laughs> no, no, dude, I didn't. Oh, and I taught. I taught. You're for a fraud, self. man. Bro, that's what I'm saying. I don't have the degree. I don't, like, I didn't, you know, I just had a baby. I had to work, and, like, I didn't have enough time. Anyway, so I just think, in general, part of the reason why we got, we're so off track is because we've made it about knowing things instead of knowing people or knowing a person. I think the weird thing that I was thinking about today is some of these people that, even people that I like and read and that are the most awesome teachers that can argue anything and write these crazy things, it's weird because in addition to having this knowledge that they have, which is true and real, they also have to bring to the table like some uh, facade of, maybe it's not a facade, I don't know, but of unbelievable character in order to relay the knowledge. Like, if somebody had a ton of knowledge, but their life was bad, I can't listen to that person's knowledge anymore. 
or vice versa. If somebody is like actually figuring out stuff and understands the gospel, but they don't have a lot of knowledge, well, I can't listen to them. So we've set ourselves up for this thing where somebody has to be a perfect yeah. of perfect character. Yeah, which is total. It's totally fake because the gifting and calling of God are without repentance. Like He gives gifts to people whether they use them well or not. But we like set up this like weird double standard of like you're not allowed to use your gift unless you're perfect. Yeah, and it's like exactly. sorry, God doesn't even treat it like that. Like. He just gives it. It's like, I have children. I have three, and they're gifted at different things, and they're just given those gifts. And I can't take them away, and they could use them. They could prostitute themselves. They could prostitute other people. They could manipulate or control, or they could change the world. So you think some of the most gifted Bible teachers by God are not, uh, they're either not teaching the Bible, or they're teaching the Bible, and their lives are a fraud. Well, what I think is that there's people that they don't, they're, the church hasn't made any room for them, so their God-given gifting, they're using outside, and they're blessing tons of people, and the church is condemning them for it. Hmm. I, hey, think, I think outside of just the church world, I think there's massive like prophets and teachers and apostolic leaders that are they're leading in business, they're leading in, they're leading in government, they're leading outside of the church realm, and the church doesn't have any value for their gifting. And so they don't create space for these massive gifts to come and be a part of God's kingdom. That's the real, it's like in the meantime, we can become pharisaical and argue and fight with all these people amongst ourselves. Like you're a fake. You're a fake. It's like in the meantime, the world needs Jesus. And we're like stuck in our own little one dimensional box trying to get everyone else to jump in with us. It's like, come on. So, but the biggest deal to me is like, I don't like seeing massive leadership gifting and calling and the potential to change the world not connected to the giver of the gift in the first place. And so the church has got to just wake up to the fact that like, we're supposed to actually transform the world. Like we're actually yeah. supposed to take part in this thing, not just create like an alternative, alternative universe. That's kind of one dimensional and pretty fake. Yeah. A tidy yeah. little thing where everybody's <laughs> teaching is right. Everybody needs to be a pastor or a, a worship leader. It's like, yeah. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. <laughs> like it doesn't work like that. Like, Anyway, so you think of like hey. Warren Buffett and Jay-Z and you think of like these amazing people that are gifted. They can create wealth. They can shift culture. They can do all these radical things. And the church wants nothing to do with their gifting at all. Yeah. <laughs> that's a problem like that. Anyways, that's what I was that's what I was really getting at is I think you're right because we set a fake expectation. And it's why 80, almost 80 percent of Christian leaders aren't making it. Like, they don't make it. They start the pastorate, even, and they bail because there's too much pressure to be fake and to be perfect and have it all put together. It doesn't work. Well, tell me to swing around about what we were talking about before. People that feel guilty, people that feel (laughs) totally guilty, that have massive sin that they're super aware of. And yeah. those are the very people that want to pay back God by being a, you know, youth minister and, and pastor a lot of times. You know. Yeah, they do. They've and and I think it, it, that's the that's the part where like if the which I think is connected is what I'm trying to say by babbling right then. When people get saved, like for me, I was so grateful to just be accepted by someone that I was like, you can have my whole life. <laughs> like <laughs> I've used my words for everything, you know. Like and I it was not for you. So at this point, you can just have me. And and I offered myself to God. And went as hard as I could into that. But the reality is, like, what if I wasn't a speaker or a communicator? What if my gift was something else? But the church told me I had to fit it into this one place. Um, that's where people are like, I want to give it all. But what really, what really blows their hair back and makes them the most excited is, is solving the water crisis in the world. But that's sort of like 
it's sort of secular or it's, you know, creating some yeah. other thing. And I, I just don't want us to limit what God wants to do because I think our generation of people were like, we're going to change the face of church anyway. But if we don't create enough room for people to be totally kingdom, whether they look churchy or not, like we're going to do a whole generation of people a disservice. Cause I think we really do want to change the world. Tommy, that's yeah. really profound. What is your favorite yeah. Emory song? <laughs> um, I don't have one. <laughs> Shut up, Matt. I know that was a dig at me. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this, Tommy. Um, <laughs> so awesome. I can't We've even. Okay. A, There's like a We've whole backstory a, to that joke, and I don't have time for it. Anyways, it's good. That's so good. <laughs> so good. A, a couple of our most recent uh, podcast guests, um, one Jay Baker, another Dave Bazan, Dave Bazan, um, cool. front man of Pedro the Lion, and then Jay Baker, son of Tammy and Jim. And both of them in their own way, I would say, believe very differently from the three of us. Dave Bazan, uh, not even really believing in the God of the Bible. Uh, Jay, I think just looking at, through some crazy different lenses I would imagine just a little bit of time that we've talked to you, uh, you, you probably think a little more like we do. Now, w- what is your knee-jerk reaction when you hear about a guy like Dave Bazan? Are, are you familiar with his story? I, I, I just know that he, that Pedro the Lion had like this crazy, Pedro the Lion had a crazy influence on Jay. I remember reading about that in his book, but I never yeah. really was into Pedro the Lion. I, I listened to them years ago, but I remember that because of this dude's contribution and the way that he shared like the fact that he's not like a Christian anymore. That's like what I heard. That meant a lot to a handful of people that I knew. And I I was just sort of sad. I just was sort of sad. Um, And it it makes me wonder, it just makes me wonder, you know, what really was the journey? What, what really was it? And, and just wanting to hold space for that. But I don't know that dude. So, you know, I, I don't know my, my investment into the church and my investment into ministry and, and the connection I had and, and, being more happy to just be a pastor of a little church in California than be the front man of a band or I found just as much fulfillment in serving people as I do now being on stage. Like I, I'm just trying to utilize the platform to really speak the message that's in my heart. But I, I, I think that's preserved something, but I didn't come up in the music scene like that. I wasn't a performer from the get go. I just was a, a dude that wanted to serve Jesus. And so I wonder my journey from Dave is different. My journey connected to Jay. Jay's one of the reasons that Jay's the dude that inspired me to start the church that I first planted in Southern California. In the midst of my divorce, I went to Atlanta and I, I was was staying for three months with my family. And on my birthday, I went to revolution Atlanta and hung out with him. And I went to a bar with him after, and I sat with him and said, I think I should do what you do. And I would call him every six months and be like, Hey dude, I'm doing this ministry thing. And I never heard back from him, but I really felt like, Hey, thanks for, thanks for showing me this like way that you did reaching out to people. And so Jay, to me, even I, I know that he's, you know, he's, he's like in a, he's in a different universe than I am. And I, his journey is so different from mine. And some of the wounds that he's carrying and some of the wounds that he's worn really well, they're different than mine, but he really did play a, a Jay had played a part, but I don't know Dave's story as much. I just have question where I'm like, man, what, why don't you, why don't you love Jesus anymore? <laughs> like, yeah. Why is he not real? The, I don't care. It's like, I just, I've had enough friends that have sort of bailed, you know, over the past like 11, 12 years that have probably that same trajectory and they have a different, they have a different story. But for Dave, so why, I, I wonder, yeah. I just wonder. What, yeah. If what, someone what, asked you, why do you believe so strongly? Like, why are, why are you so convinced? Like, 
do you go the academic route? Do you go the personal route? Do you go the dude? I, I mean, he's told me things. I mean, how, how do you respond when someone's just like, dude, how do you believe? It's, it's rooted in, it's rooted in the encounter. That's all of the above, you know, like yeah. to, to encounter him in life and then to need to use my brain because I was a hardcore kid and I, yeah. you know, was an arguer. And it's like, so having to sort of really sort through, did this dude even exist in history? And so, yeah, there's a level of like the academic, but most of it for me is, is rooted in encounter is rooted in experience with God and is rooted in inviting having a relationship that's actually helped shape the way I make decisions and has led my life. And some of it's so supernatural. Tommy, do you mind if we go back to some of the stuff in your childhood? You said you grew up with some spiritual experiences when you were young. Yeah, do it. Tell, tell us about that. Because let me preface that just a little bit. We've had a couple of guests on here and they're people that are like super sold out, love Jesus, talk to him, hear from him. And then the typical thing that the, uh, non-christian listener will say was oh this person's schizophrenic or they're totally crazy or you know like they're they're whacked out people but what is your experience of like you know fruity weird spiritual stuff when you were young because you mentioned that earlier and i don't know what yeah you know i it 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 was a season when i it started when i was like probably six years old and it went from the time that i was six years old to eight years old um but i i started getting really tormented by nightmares and I'd wake up and literally see things moving in my room. Mm-hmm. And I remember it got so bad. Um, and which is crazy because my stepdad was actually going, <laughs> my stepdad at the time was going to the Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary because he was like a minister. And so I was seeing things it, and at the night and feeling so like nuts about it that I just, I almost cursed my dream life. And I would lie to people and be like, I can dream about whatever I want. But I just, I'd never wanted to go to sleep because it was just such a bad experience for me. And, um, when I, when I actually, I guess, prayed for real and kind of got connected to God, the first thing that happened was I started dreaming again, but they, they weren't bad dreams. (laughs) They were like revelatory dreams where I was, I mean, cool stuff. Like, I mean, (laughs) it sounds funny to say that cool stuff, but I'm standing naked in front of these people that used to like people that intimidated me in, in high school, um, old enemies, crowds of people that I would ordinarily feel so ashamed and embarrassed of, but I'm standing without any hesitation before them and I have nothing to hide. And, and realizing the dream started right around that, that time when I actually had gotten saved and not realizing it for months later and then journaling it and realizing that like God was like speaking to me about specific moves in my life through dreams and visions. And then being, realizing that on some level, I think whether you want to call it like a psychic or a intuitive or revelatory gift was an operation in my life at a young age. But, um, all I was seeing was the dark and then to kind of encounter that and go, Oh my God, like was some of that stuff even real? Because it was <laughs> so like you were saying fruity and stupid that it was like, it was enough to make me terrified. And I mean, because every so kid has afraid, bad but, dreams and every kid has imaginary friends. So how is, I mean, I didn't really have, I didn't have imaginary friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think every kid has imaginary friends. I do know a lot of kids at, at that same time of life, though. Most of the people I know, they go through seasons when they're little and they have these insane, like, night terrors and night crazy things. And it's either like a crazy coincidence that we're all nuts and we found each other, or there's actually like something that's going on. And for me, I would be like, I think that there's a lot of kids that are given the ability to hear and see. Mm hmm. 
and that they're, they're sensitive in their spirit and they're, they're meant to have that childlike faith and trust. And like any neuroplastician can tell you like that our brain is actually hardwired for love and we don't have a natural response to fear. Fear is like a totally learned behavior. And so I believe that what ends up happening in the spooky supernatural side of things is that children, they're, they're born to love and they're born to trust implicitly. And if, they, if that can get shut down by fear, we begin to doubt, we begin to be ashamed, we begin to be afraid. And I think that affects not only who we are in the natural on a soul level, but I think it affects our perspective of God and the spirit as well. And so either we're all crazy and we're all schizophrenic or there really is something bigger going on. And I think anyone that knows what it's like to not even know why you feel so afraid or like something is in your room and not be able to see it. I think that's, that's that stuff. So yeah, it's totally spooky and fruity and stupid, but I don't think I'm crazy and neither do I. (laughs) None of y'all think you're crazy. Yeah. None of us think we're crazy over here. So with you being so open and, and, and even talking about discussions like this, like, uh, that you had these, you know, spiritual, uh, transcendent, metaphysical, whatever experiences that you, you have had, do you come into contact with people that are just almost aggressive to your openness on stage? And they just, they are like, I, I'm like we said before, I know people come up to you and are really responsive to what <clears throat> you say, but do you, do you get any pushback from what you're saying on stage? People think you're being detrimental to, uh, the world by just talking about this stuff from stage at a bar. Yeah, man. I mean, the, 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 the reality is that like, I deal with the same, like the same, I don't know why people do it. You know, some people are just so angry with some of what they, the perceived abuses, the stuff that Christians do wrong, whatever. But it's like, there's been plenty of times when I'm like in the middle of just talking. And I mean, literally what I get is shut the fuck up. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, like I've, I didn't come all the way out here to shut up, man. Like I, like I came out here with a purpose in my heart and there's too many people that are encouraged or at least challenged or exposed to what I, what I have to say, there, there's too much value in that for me to get put down. Cause you're going to try to bully me into like, you know, shut up, stupid Christian idiot, moron, well, like whatever. Let me and, tell you right now, what's leaping out of the speakers to me is people don't need to shut up. They need to say exactly what they think, but we'll start with the people that are willing to say the bad stuff and be vulnerable. Those people can talk. Whoever's willing to say the worst shit about themselves, like Tommy is, that person gets to talk first. That's that's the yep. way I think it ought to go. Well, that's it, that, that's yeah. definitely how it should go for Christians. If we know who, you know, the if we know who our eyes are supposed to be on, I mean, that just makes complete sense. But unfortunately, it's the complete opposite. Anybody that wants to not say anything about themselves and only talk about other people, that person can shut up. As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I haven't thought about it to hear you guys go like to hear you guys be there. I'm like, I'm stoked that you would say that because to me, I feel like I'm really not trying to posture myself like I'm better than. Well, that's clear. uh, I just believe in what (laughs) if I don't believe it, why the why the my wife is beautiful. My kids are awesome. Like, why would I leave them to go and just be a like, why would I why would I just show up to be some rock star? Like, why? Who cares about that? Like, it's a big deal for me to be, like, 33, to have, like, a 14-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 1-year-old, and, like, go sleep in a van 
to it's not the mosh the the mosh is not worth it to me like that is not <laughs> the thing so for me it's like that's what bums me out about the the argument some of the stuff that's happening where it's like whatever the issue is you know to talk about jay or anything where it's like please for the love of christ jesus don't lump me in with some of yeah. these idiotic people that don't stay up hours at night thinking Man, I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, and that, in a lot of ways, statistically, has the highest ratio of gay and lesbian people on the North American continent. How do I create relationships with people? How do I build trust with people so they don't think, even if I don't agree with their sexuality, that I don't like them as people? Like, that is, that's the stuff I think about. But, but to, to enter into that conversation in full view of all sorts of crazy, closed-minded non-believers and believers, you just get slimed, like some random Republican jerk that doesn't care about people at all. And it, it blows my mind. So I pre- what I'm saying is I appreciate you guys are like, because you're vulnerable, you can talk. That's right. Because I feel like, yeah, if you're not vulnerable, please, for the love of God, don't say anything unless you got something to say because we've heard it all already. <laughs> but that's, yeah. So I, I feel valued by you guys saying that. And I really, I, my goal is not to, again, I just want people to see what's changed my life. And I don't know how else to do that, but to share my life. But again, to some people, it totally makes them so mad. They want to fight me when I get off of stage. Yeah. If it's well, I, think, I, th- I think part of that is that they are afraid that n- <clears throat> when, when you are vulnerable, it is one of the scariest things I- I've been in rooms before where I've been vulnerable or I've seen somebody be vulnerable. And I felt this way scared. Because that yeah, means, uh oh, that's true. Uh-oh, that's true. Am I supposed to? Am I supposed to say something? Do I have to? T- do, do I? I mean, seriously, like, do I, do I need to t- say the black shit that's in my heart right now? I, I, I mean, I can't tell anybody this, can I? If I, if yeah. I tell anybody this, and especially their experiences with church, you do not show up at church and, and publicly say, "Hey, man, I need Jesus because of this." And that's what I love about vulnerability. It takes all the pressure off me. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. That dude can do it. That's what I, that's what I, I hope. Know, yeah. 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 And, and that's what I think is really cool about your message, too, is that that's what you're trying to do. You're not trying to promote Tommy. Hey, listen, man, I'm this and I'm this. And if you, you know, Jesus did this and now I got all my shit together. No, that, that's not the way it works. I mean, no, it's man. not like, you, you know what I mean? Don't Even stop needing a savior. Oh, totally. Ever. I need, I, and no one's too cool. No one's too cool <laughs> for consistently changing your screwed up mind like that. But Toby, you, you know, to, you know what the uh, problem is with that man. There's, there's just so much danger with that because if we put it all on Jesus, then we just won't care how we live. And yeah, it's a license. We'll to just sin, be man. too lackadaisical. Which, and, which so, it goes to the very heart of the thing is like if it's really just about principle then you're absolutely right. Then the principles right. must be upheld. But if it's actually about a relationship from start to finish, do you actually end up caring more about someone else than yourself? You actually start living a little different. It's it, yep. get the f- when you're free to love, that's when you can actually like explore love. Like Wait, when you're ahead, afraid to love. Finish the sentence that you're about to say. You were about to say get the f- what? <laughs> sorry. What, what? I'm sorry. Did I skip over something? Did I edit? No, did no. I edit? Did I self edit? Joey's just mad. Yeah. I self edit. Because I do. I just do that all the time. Because, again, <laughs> I do it all the time. Anyways, but what, I, what I'm saying is I think that when people are actually free to love, it takes the it takes all the, the fake pressure off of it. I, I can actually be who I am. And I can do a good job of loving God and look pretty cool sometimes maybe. And most of the time I'm struggling just like anyone else. But at least I'm not a fake about it. I just yeah, feel like it makes yeah. it easy, man. Like. 
Yeah, well, that's I pretty think, good. I, I've never thought about yeah. it like that. That's cool. Well, I think that here, here's the thing that I'm just really like, like, like what you were talking about, even with how to, how do we approach people that we disagree with, whether it be a, a sexual preference, whether it be they don't believe whatever. in God, what, what, whatever, yeah. whatever they believe in. The thing that I find that is so strong is when you take it from an issue to a face, to a human. Yeah, and that's exactly yeah. what Jesus did. Jesus said, okay. I'm coming here, I'm leaving heaven, I'm going to be a human, and you're yeah. going to see me, and I'm real. Here I am. Yeah. I am real. And, and then yeah. w- when it gets that way, when it's not just the homosexual issue, when it's a gay person that you're talking to, no, that has feelings with a name, all, with a name yeah, yeah, and exactly. history and family. Yep. Exactly. And then, then you can meet them as a human, and then, uh, then you can be real. You can say, oh, well, I, I have a lot in common with this person. It, it's not just yep. about this one thing that separates That's us right. completely. We can, and if I can love them and show them that they are loved, just like Jesus did, even if we leave here in a disagreement, they will know that they are loved. And, that, and, that's, and, that's, yeah. and that's, such, that's, that's bigger than anything. It's stronger yeah. than anything. It's stronger than the bullies. It's stronger than anything, for sure. But so it's scary. It's Here's scary. the thought that I have listened to this now is I, I've been thinking a lot about lately about how culture goes top down. And, and because I say that because it's the way it is in my family, the way I lead, the way I present, it has massive effects even in my small, tiny family. And then across organizations like Bad Christian and then companies and churches. I mean, it's like Steve Jobs all the way down. Like that's the culture goes as the leader goes. And in our churches, what we see is the, the leaders have higher and higher uh, pressure to uh, appear better and better and better. So what what are the effects of that on the congregation? Uh, yeah. Likewise, they're oh, going to yeah. take the same thing. So, like, just as a thought experiment, what would it what would it do to a church if a big time pastor went out on stage, preached twenty minutes of a sermon, stopped, put his hand on his face, said, "I have fucked up so bad the last two weeks. I don't believe anything I'm saying. I don't even know what I feel like." Drops mic, walks off stage. Live broadcast, whatever. What would that do to the church? Would it ruin it? He well, he would have would to that ruin going, the church. Yeah. I mean, like, what would that show yeah, to it the would. people? It, it, I believe in this culture, it would because people will not allow a person of leadership. It, it immediately de- de- uh, demolishes their leadership because we, as a culture, have been taught don't allow this person to walk through this in public. And that's that's what's scary about it. Like, if, if somebody has a moral failure or whatever, why can't they say it? Be open about it. Talk about it, whatever. Don't let it own them, and then figure it out. You know what I mean? That That's okay, isn't it? I guess what I was yeah. thinking was that would be a positive effect. on. I mean, maybe attendance would go down the next week. Sure, whatever. Maybe people would say stuff on the Internet the next week, but the p- engaged people that followed that man would likewise, like, they go, oh, finally, that's the way I feel sometimes. It would be a minority. It would be a minority, I believe. Well, maybe, I but I think, that, I think that if people would leave because of that, they should leave. I mean, you wouldn't want those people in your church, my, the way I, I look at it. I remember yeah, reading I a book, and I think it was like Messy Spirituality or something by like Mike Iaconelli, and I want to say that he's either him or Brendan Manning have a story in one of their books about uh, a pastor that basically preached his doubt for like a period of like five or six months, mm-hmm. and the church like held space for him to kind of deal with his unbelief and the stuff he was processing. And by the end of that season, they had grown, and he had been strengthened, and he'd been supported, and everyone seemed to be better for it. Now, that's not going to be across the board, but I I remember reading a story about that and him weeping from stage, like, thank you so much for creating space for me to even explore my doubt um, with you. And so I I think, but it requires, it's almost like a band that doesn't, they stop making pop hits, 
and they actually want to elevate their listeners. <laughs> like they want people to have right. like better <laughs> taste. And it's like, you're going to lose some of the shallow, but you might actually create some smarter listeners. And so I yeah, think and here's what I think. And. Here's what I think would, would need to happen, Matt, for that to be a healthy situation is I think that pastor, he is a shepherd of that church. Yep. There's no way of getting around it. So he has a responsibility. And I feel that could yep. be a huge win if he said, look, some of you are maybe going to want to leave the church today. And that's on you because you put me on a pedestal. You shouldn't have, like, you have to instruct them through that and say, I'm going to tell you that I'm in a season of doubt. I'm going to tell you that I've been messing up uh, with my marriage. I'm going to tell you all the stuff because I don't want you to have me on this pedestal. And I'm asking you to stay with me because I think this church, you know what I'm saying? Like, I yep. think it needs to be more of a, here's the situation, not, Hey, I doubt all what, this stuff. I'm just saying that as a counter to the notion that what the, as the leadership goes is how the culture will be in any organization, company or family. So well, the higher, the bigger, the better the church gets, the, the more, the more the leader needs to be better looking and then i mean what what that's a weird <laughs> pressure i mean that's crazy. well i just think yeah. it, i think the best way to take off the pressure is like it, at least in at, like so salt lake like we have a professional soccer team and um one of the slogans in the city is that the team is the star and so i just i think that probably what needs to happen as opposed to like the one dude who you're right like people are going to get what you have not what you say so like if you have a leader that's a mess and he's what's carrying your church then you've got all this pressure on one dude. And that model in general over the past 50 years is failing. So it's like you better empower a team of people to help support a community of people. So it's not just on one dude that's not allowed to express doubt because, oh, my God, we only get together once a week. What if he expresses doubt this week? What's that going to do to my week? Like, it's such a fake model that I think we need leadership, not just like one dude. That's the guy at the top of the pyramid. I don't know if that's going to work, but that's yeah. just my opinion so and in, also, my, Matt, in I, my humble opinion i just think we need to empower teams not just the one dude at the top of the thing i totally I agree one thing that we have to do is for sure uh pastors need to be able to talk about the little sins before it gets so big like he he should be able to Heck say hey yeah. man, you, you know what i mean like it, before it gets so crazy why can't he say hey you know what last sunday right after church man there was a girl and i checked her out a lot and really thought about it and i just feel miserable about that and i just want to get that out in the air uh, I don't want to be that guy, and I don't want that. I know that that road can take me far, and so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm right here. And, and that might maybe pastors are doing that in private. I agree, but I think if he's the shepherd, why not shepherd them that way yeah, too? My hey. point would be that would be super edifying to the church to hear. Yeah, yeah I then agree. Every husband's going to go do the same thing to his wife. He's going to say, "This right, is that, where I'm at." That yeah. problem started. I mean, literally a thousand years ago. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're, not, we're, not, we're not talking an issue with the contemporary mega church model. We're talking, no. this started with the Catholic Church. Yes, human nature. Were, here that we're exactly. I mean, I do the same thing. I want us to look the best possible on this podcast, even to the degree right. where I want to engineer the stuff that makes us look bad so we look good. I, I mean, I'm guilty as anybody <laughs> out there of that, but I, I, I just, we had to talk about it. Yeah, that's hey, true. I have to uh, make a guilty confession, and Matt and Toby may fire me from my job. I would love um, that opportunity. Yeah, but Tommy, uh, while we were talking to you, I just had, I just, I think you're. Joey ate 12 donuts, a dozen donuts. (laughs) Yes. I just thought you're, I I thought you were such a cool guest. I uh, put one earbud in my other ear to check out your music uh, while we were doing this interview. (laughs) And it's really good, man. I I like stuff a lot. Have you been on FaceTime the whole time? 
no, no, no. We were we put our first two records out on on FaceDown, and then we just got transferred to um, uh, we we started with Century Media, and they have they had an imprint called Anger, and we put a record yeah. out with them, and now we're just on Century Media. So Tommy, yeah. speaking of music, tell us about your new <laughs> album coming out. <laughs> um. Well, I'm so glad you asked. It's a, it's a rip-roaring rock disc of 11 songs with the likes of such great performers as Levi the Poet. Anyway, um, it's good, man. I, we, yeah, the record comes out in August for anyone that cares. The August record is what? Called August 19th. August 19th. What's and the it? record is called Finished People, and it's on Century Media. And if you check out our band, what did I say? Check out our band on Facebook.com forward slash Sleeping Giant. That's good, right? Yeah, you no, know it's something I've heard recently is people are saying, like, when you're doing appearances or podcasts or interviews, like, all you have to do, which you've already done, is be unbelievably compelling and engaging. It's not like anybody that's interested in you won't find out what your band is or what you do. Like, the, the plug stuff is seeming sillier and sillier the farther we get into this age um, but yeah, for sure, I mean, we I, do want people to know that you are in, in an awesome yeah. band. You're not just a uh, pastor and uh, counselor and theologian for the for the regular <laughs> guy, for the average Joe. You're more than it's that. For those average Joes, bro. <laughs> for anyone that doesn't have a degree, you can right. call me, and I'll do my best to like either not know entirely or hook you up with someone that does. That's like my thing. That's no, right. thank you. Yeah. So the record. Thanks for yeah. That finished people August nineteenth. Um, so what is it about the about Finland? Because you said the title of this is Finnish people. Yeah, like what is it about <laughs> Finland? No, I'm hoping. You? Like I, in the back of my mind, I'm realizing that like I am blown away that like some of my friends' bands are like headlining Warp Tour now. Like that's our universe. Like that blows my mind because that was always like a different universe from where I was when I was little. Like sick of it all, or like H2O would play every once in a while, but like. Yeah. The, the whole warp tour is like all these guys that we just play shows with and it's like that's so incredible to me because it's just insane but i'm realizing that kids online they make like parody videos and the record is called finished people like i finished my dinner um oh, okay. but i'm realizing that, that it sounds like finish people and so i'm really hoping someone that like a, a, a parody video of finished people the song and they turn it into finish people because <laughs> that would be kind of fun but no, finished people. I, I wrote it, and it, and it, that title was inspired by a documentary about the Roman pri- or the Russian prison system. Yeah, Toby, you're so. such a dumbass. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't Sorry, just get guys. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, finished people. That's that was it. It's a documentary. <laughs> That's it. Finished. Hey, okay. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I got to open this up. Tommy, did you think t- uh, Toby was serious just now? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. That's why okay. I wanted to let you know. Like, <laughs> I've already thought this song, when we say the, we are finished people, I, I literally yeah. have thought, man, this sounds like we're saying we are finished people. Man, I hope someone does a parody video and it's like Tom Green's like bum song, but like finished. <laughs> like, we are finished people, but it's like the. It's a weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> yeah, like the happen. Muppets or something. Like, the chef, the Swedish <laughs> chef is like doing this hard work. Anyway. Dugan, Dugan. Yeah, dude, that guy. Anyway, so I I totally have got it. And then last night when I was I spoke at our friend's church in Redlands, and um, the dude that brought us up is our old bass player, Jr. And he was like, "Hey, he's also got this new record coming out, Finnish Finnish people. I guess it's about Finland or something." So I I'm getting that more and more. So I I was like appreciative of the fact that what is it about Finnish people? Well, they're just the beautiful people and they love the sea, and that's that's what I like. That's so. great. So Tommy, you also wrote a book and have your book out. What is it called? It's called Religio Side. 
religious side. And where can people get it? At uh, Amazon or createspace.com. Awesome. Thank you for coming on our <laughs> podcast. Thank you, guys. I really thanks for thanks for making time. Appreciate it. By the way, we have a book too, people. It's called Bad Christian, Great Savior. It's available at Amazon as well. <laughs> That's good. That's what I'm talking about. Well, you know what's funny is, is is before this uh, podcast, I looked at, at uh, Tommy's book and I was just reading. <laughs> I like reading reviews, and so I read some of the reviews, and nobody. For him, he had zero, like below three, or, or maybe even below four, but maybe it's three or four. And uh, but I, I always wonder at the four people, they don't say anything negative. So why wouldn't they just go that extra point and give you a five? I, I know the I mean, answer I, to that. What it, what is it? Well, because like I, like I've been riding Uber cabs lately, and so when I get a really good uh, cab driver, I have to give him a five because he's awesome. Yeah. So if somebody's really good, but he's not. The, like really as awesome as that one guy then in order for my any of my ratings to be of value i have to i'm i'm forced to give some people fours for my five to mean anything so it's like a right, personal but you, integrity but, but, but that's my point but that's my point is you have a reason though you could say well he personal wasn't as good integrity. as yeah but my point is why couldn't they just say okay the reason why i, get, I can't give them a full five is because of this uh, all they, they, like, that would be really, awesome. Like if it if it was yeah. sixty pages longer, I'd feel a bit more grown up. And so five stars. Just right. Beef, oh, yeah, beef yeah, it up. They, next they time, say only you know? positive. I mean, stuff I don't understand what the four, the four stars, stars for. It should be five or one. That's what I'd I'd love to live on that line. That'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's thumbs up or down is what you'd prefer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah. It's it's too, it's too tiring to think about it. I ain't got no time. Yeah, well, Tommy, thank you so much, man. We we really appreciate you being on the podcast, man. This is a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you. All right, Tommy Green, everyone. Um, what an unbelievable interview. Uh, I loved it. This guy. Uh, yeah, I didn't know this guy going into it. I didn't know anything about him, but man, one of the one of the most fun times I've ever had. With hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can, can I just take a second to thank you for doing your your research and everything? For I mean, yeah, you really do prepared for the interview. Joey. Yeah, you guys I mean, didn't tell me who. <laughs> you, yeah, you didn't even tell did, me. Let me just ask you a question. How did I know? How did any? How did Matt know? Yeah, how did we know who was going to be on the podcast then? Well, listen. How did Reba I, know or Chad know or Daniel know? Yeah, how All did everybody know but you? I, this, I'm taking vacation time. It's been a four-week vacation. No. Yeah, weeks see, that's such get? a misconception. I was in that's New exact, York for Exactly work. like Pat. This, you're the reason why people don't trust pastors. <laughs> yeah, you're the problem. You well, are the problem. I mean, I'm giving my – I'm exactly like what my dad would say. You, I'm going to give you ties, so you're going to be gone for three, four weeks at a time? Uh, my you time, I work, that- My dad's trying to struggle for, to get overtime. Hey, how did my PTO build up? Because I wasn't taking any time off. So it's about damn time I take some time off. Oh, Especially, you know, I'm carrying your weight, Toby, your physical weight and your work ethic weight when I'm there. So I'm tired, man. How can your knees handle all the weight? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I enjoy talking to Tommy. I think he's about the easiest guest to interview because you don't have to get through any bull crap. He just says exactly what he thinks. We were able to have a conversation. He was guarded in zero ways. So I enjoyed that. What a cute laugh. Yeah, his laugh is really good too. We could have him come on as a guest just to be a laugher. I'd be happy with that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, hey, hey speaking of laughing, let's start news so I can laugh oh my, my ass off. I'm just kidding, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Go ahead. How, much, how much laughing would it take to laugh your ass off? <laughs> That's a lot of laughter. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> 
if, if you, you could can, just laugh your ass off, that would be great. If you could take all the laughing that's ever occurred on earth, could Joey, would that equal him up to laugh Joey's ass off? <laughs> all right, get on with it. In a world filled with fear, in a world that you don't know if you can step inside of your door, you want the truth, and you're going to get it right here tonight. My name is Toby Morrell. This is News with Toby. Welcome. Hi. Okay, I'm going to get started here. Here I go. I'm getting ready to start the news. Joey, you want to do your normal, uh, just despicable routine that you normally do? I'm actually on the edge of my seat, bro. Go on with it, man. I'm really looking forward to this. I have I just right. have turned over a new leaf. Are you sure? I'm positive, man. I love you, and I'm proud of you, and uh, I'm just Are you eating to right to now? Part. That's why you're a little happy? You're, it sounds like you're eating. <laughs> Come on. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay. All right. Well, I'm kind of excited about this. Local Motors, a 3D printing company, uh, is going to lead an American manufacturing revolution. This is from Fox News, one of the most trusted websites out there, fair and balanced, if you will. Have you guys heard about the, the, the 3D printers out there? Yeah, I heard of 3D yeah, printing. Man. I was I sure gonna, have. I, I, yeah, I was going to use one to build, like, you know, a new – I was trying. I was going to make another kid out of one. <laughs> You're going to have a 3D printed kid? <laughs> yeah, because I, yeah. I, I think our daughter, George, is awesome, so I thought maybe we could print a whole other kid. Now, could you do a 3D brain? That would be pretty amazing. But anyway, back to my story. Uh, this They are building, Local Motors is building a 3D printed electric sports car. It's called the Strati or Strati. Uh, and it's produced from a new fiber reinforced thermoplastic that is strong enough for use in an automotive application. Isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah. The ch- the chassis and body without the drivetrain Will wheels. All be plastic. Yes, uh, the chassis and the body without the drivetrain wheels and brakes weighs a scant four hundred and fifty pounds, and the completed car is comprised of just forty components. Forty. A number that gets smaller with every revision. So they're going, they're trying to get to where they have, all, you know, just the least, um, the least amount of different parts possible. And it'll just be this. And what's really cool, the application here will be for the military where they can take printers out into the field. And if they need a vehicle, they can just make it right there. All right. Isn't so that re- review to me again. The parts that will not be 3D printed were the drivetrain and the what? No, no. It, it it says uh, it's produced from a new fiber reinforced thermoplastic strong enough for use in an automotive application. Right. And and then it lists all those as parts of the car. They're all plastic. So the drivetrain is plastic. It says the chassis the and body without the drivetrain. So the drivetrain is not, I'm sorry. That's what I'm saying. So the drivetrain yeah. and and wheels will not be right, plastic. Right, right, right. Everything exactly. else. So yeah. th- to me, that's crazy because I used to build model cars when I was little. And when we, I would build the cars, they, they would have all the plastic things and you'd pull them off and the parts would be numbered. And the parts would be like number 64, 72, 86. Like they'd have a number on them for the parts. So even on the model cars, which was just a, you know, they didn't actually have all the parts of a real car. There was hundreds of parts for the little scale models I would build as a youngster. So 40 parts on a real car is pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I know. And it only took 40 hours to build it. And that's what's really crazy about it. So, I mean, they can really use this in the military very quickly just to create these these uh, vehicles that they'll need to use. So I think that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's amazing. Y'all didn't build model cars when y'all was little? I tried yeah, to, but I just lost interest. Well, before you move on to your next story, Toby, um, I've really been thinking about this, and um, I, I think 
for me to be a little more excited about your news, and this is why I'm really trying. I mean, you guys have got to be thankful. What if you just I'm, didn't talk one time? What if you just didn't talk the whole time and just gave it a real listen? Well, can you just listen to me? Oh I gosh. want to have a 15-second oh segment of your news, and I feel like that's the least that you can do for me given the amount of self-discipline, energy, and fasting it took for me not to do anything at the beginning of the news story. So you're saying if Toby will allow you 15 seconds, you'll agree to not interrupt other than that? Yeah. In fact, 15 seconds per news, I won't interrupt at the beginning. Can I just say that the words energy and fasting have never been used to describe Joe? <laughs> the first time I've heard those. It's the first time those have ever been used. Toby, what do you think? Can you give him 15 seconds in exchange for some peace and quiet so he gets to talk for 15 seconds before Is that all you need joey 15 seconds in yeah, between I, each news segment yeah i'm fully prepared and i know that it won't last for any more than 15 seconds now you guys can do whatever the hell you want with it toby you can say oh well that sucked moving on to my next news story i don't care i just want the ability or the opportunity to be a part of this all right let's do it you got 15 seconds all right uh three two one go Okay, Barna's survey and research has done thorough investigation in the last four months. Okay, I re- okay I'm going to have to start all over. I need 15 uninterrupted seconds. Okay. And I understand. Three, two, one, go. Barna's survey research has done thorough investigation in the last four months. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to get my 15 seconds or I'm never going to not interrupt you please how does it feel motherfucker alright give it 15 seconds Toby you're starting to get on my nerves now I find myself allied with Joey at this point Barna survey research has done thorough investigation the last four months starting in March 2014 and after immense surveying and hours of interviewing have found the reason for Toby's news popularity are you ready for this? 89% of all listeners of Toby's News find Toby's delivery, professionalism, and effectiveness to be bullshit. And that is my portion for the news of Bad Christian Podcasts. And that and, does uh, come from the Barna Research Group. Thank you, yes. Joey. You're welcome. <laughs> Applause here. All right. Toby, do you have one more news story? I, I do want to say, I just interject, Joey, I really did appreciate your news story. I thought it was great. I thought the way you, that you presented it was really good. I love the idea of, of you sitting in your chair, sitting in your chair, a couple of rolls kind of hanging over the armrest, and you write, handwriting that out. <laughs> I just love that idea of you writing that out that new segment. I really, yeah, really I love that. I didn't write it out. Did not write it out. You got that. Okay. Well, okay. Uh, all right. Well, it. thank you, Joey. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank, and I hope I didn't no, hurt thank your you. Feelings. Joey. I, thank I only you, report Joey. the news. I don't make the news. I report that shit. That's actually what I say. That's my, thank that's you, my Joey. Thing. Uh, my last bit of news is a little bit of animal cruelty that I thought was kind of crazy. A Black Canyon City man accused of cruelty to rats. Can you be cruel to rats? Uh, yeah. Aren't they just well, like yeah, vicious, yeah, that's what I was vicious say, disease Toby. carrying? Right. I was going to say that. Joey, you're supposed to be done. You had your 15 seconds. 
Yeah, so, you don't want me not to talk, though. That would just be boring. I'm just saying that cruelty to rats, I agree with you. <laughs> they don't this deserve from, anything. This is from AP, Absolute Punk, Gordon and Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Joey's never heard of the Associated Press. He's not, but oh. I'm just throwing this out there. It's awesome that he knows so much about AbsolutePunk.net. A man is accused of animal cruelty after hundreds of domesticated rats have been found dead or dying in a north-central Arizona travel trailer. Yavapai oh, County Sheriff's officials say 28-year-old Jeffrey Windorf was arrested Monday on suspicion of cruel mistreatment of animals and neglect and abandonment. Isn't that crazy? Sheriff, yeah, sheriff's deputies and county animal control officers say there were between 300 to 500 rats in pins at the front and back oh of the trailer, gosh. and the odor was overwhelming. And he li- that's oh where he, like, he, he kept them on purpose, and that's where he lived? We he was trying which. to, bre- I think he was trying to breed them and sell them, and it just, he, it got overwhelming, and then that was it, so. You know what Charlie Brown would say about that? He'd say, rats. All right. Yes, yes, he would, Joey. So that's my news, guys. I, that's the last one. It, it just feels kind of crazy to end on rats. I, I didn't really want to do that, but uh, Joey's little new segment kind of took away some of my. You know, I didn't get to do an extra one. You so, had a better. Uh, well, you had another news story that you would have done, but time is is up, of course. Yeah. Well, let me just say that I thought this news was a step in the right direction. I thought it started off <laughs> a little weak, <laughs> and then it got really better in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just went downhill. <laughs> well, I've enjoyed podcasting with you guys from a triple remote location. Joey, tell your brother Jared there, uh, hello. Is he there? Is he going to say hey? Uh, Jared, say hello really loud. Hello really loud. Oh, he said hello really loud. All right. He's hilarious. Yeah, I, I really don't appreciate you guys saying that y'all would rather have him on the podcast than me. I would. Just kind of. Well, it just kind of hurts my feelings a little bit because you guys don't have as much history with Jared as you do with me. Here's all I want to know. Jared, what do you think of Toby's news segment? Jared, what do you think of Toby's news segment? It blows. It blows. <laughs> and that'll do with today. We love you, podcast, Bad Christian Nation, and we will see you on the flip in side. In hell. We'll see you in hell. <laughs> see you in hell. See you in hell.